Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today, you have just me on the program, and I'm really glad to be here just in this intimate setting with you and with me. And I wanted to, first of all, thank you, because I think I missed a week or two with Demand Gen Radio. Uh, as most of you know, in the middle of March, we announced that my company, Demand Gen, has joined forces with BDO Digital, and the two companies have been getting integrated. And uh, not to make too many excuses, but I have been face down with integrating the teams and our processes and working with our clients and team members through that transition. So I appreciate your patience as uh, my schedule has been a little crazy and I've, I've missed making these episodes with some guests and, and talking with all of you. So thank you for that. I wanna dive in and what I wanna do today is really talk quite literally about the history of marketing. And the idea came to me because I was walking out of Home Depot the other day. I went to go buy a new sprinkler system, an automated system for my house and they didn't have the particular model that I wanted inside of Home Depot, which is a store, by the way, I can spend hours and hours in. But they didn't have the model that I wanted. I needed something that support like 12 um, individual sprinkler heads, and they only had the model that supported up to eight. And literally as I walked out the door and headed out into the parking lot and slid off my mask, I pulled out my mobile phone before I got in my car, and I went on to Amazon and I ordered the model that I wanted. And in the time that it took me to go from the exit of Home Depot to actually get to the back of my vehicle, I was able to place the order and it you know, told me it was gonna be delivered the next day, which it did. And then I kind of thought to myself, like, why did I even go to the store in the first place when it's just that convenient? And I thought about what I was holding in my hand and the ability to pull up a mobile app from Amazon do a search, find the model, and really from a customer experience perspective, just slide my finger across after I added it to my cart and have that purchase complete. It was the most frictionless experience ever. And I had learned about the product through an online advertisement. And I saw that online advertisement because I had been to the website where the product was made. It's a product called Ratio, R-A-C-H-I-O. And so I went to their website and of course, you know, they, they fingerprinted me. And then when I was on another site, they ran an ad because I didn't buy it on their site. But then I clicked through, saw some videos and I'm like, gotta have it. And that was the buying process, except I drove to Home Depot to get it and they didn't have the model there. So there you have it. And that led me to this conversation with you guys to put in perspective, just that experience to what we have seen evolve in, in marketing. Uh, I pulled up a whole bunch of articles on my computer in front of me. I've got them all over my screen. One that I really liked was an infographic uh, that was produced by Corey Wainwright. Uh, and she put this blog post. I can't find Corey on LinkedIn to thank her for writing the article and pulling all the research together. But it's very cool. And I thought I would share it with you guys. It's The infographic starts off uh, talking about, until recently, marketing consisted almost entirely of outbound marketing. And that is where marketing, you know, essentially interrupts a consumer uh, and starts talking at them instead of with them. 
And that's kind of what happened with that advertisement. Like I went to a website expecting to read something else, but boom, there was Ratio. Creepy for some, but you know, brought back to my attention that, yeah, I was researching and looking at their product, but I didn't make a purchase, uh, or at least they didn't know I had, and I hadn't at the time, so they marketed to me. And the period really up until the whole dot-com bubble consisted of a few different marketing mediums that you know supported this type of outbound marketing. And it all really got going, if you think about it, in 19, I'm sorry, not 19, 1450, when Gutenberg invented movable type, right? And, and for the first time, the making of mass printing was possible. And that was a game changer. And that was in 1450. Uh, during that period of time in, in 1730s, magazines show up and the first magazines uh, emerge. And the first one was published in 1741 in Philadelphia. And that was quickly followed by, you know, well, quickly, a hundred years later, uh, posters. Posters were so popular in London that they were actually banned. That's how popular they became. And one of the things as I go through this that you're going to consistently hear and think about, I hope, is that as marketing was enabled to communicate through new mediums, consumers have pushed back and retaliated, if you will, for the sake of privacy, either to protect their eyeballs or their personal data. And that's very consistent, as you guys will hear. Uh, shortly after that, again, relative to the time continuum, 1867, the first billboards show up and the first billboard uh, rentals. So now we've got a couple of mediums. We've got magazines, we've got billboards, and we've got posters. 1922, radio advertising begins. And... By 1933, the percentage of U.S. homes with a radio passes 50%. So radio comes out in 1922. By 1933, 11 years later, half the population has a radio, which shows people's interest in new medium for both entertainment value, but then again, marketers realizing at that kind of penetration mark, they've got a channel. And uh, the first recorded television advertising happened in 1941. So that's less than 10 years after the halfway mark of radio. Now we've got television and Baluva Clocks was the first commercial. It reached 4,000 television sets. Uh, pretty incredible. Then what? Telephones. 1946, we've got telephone household penetration hitting the 50% mark. Okay, so again, now outbound calls are being made and marketing, uh, you know, that was a period from 1950 to 1972 when marketing really grew up because there's more mediums and there's more opportunities for marketers to get their message in front of people. And like I said, back on this theme that you'll see in 1970 with telemarketing, that's when, you know, consumers really first started getting upset that solicitors could show up in their home and interrupt their day. Then we got 1972, which is, which is interesting because again, we've got the television coming out, ads starting in 1954. And then by 1972, it was Time Magazine. They actually shut down Life Magazine, 
which had been in place for 36 years. And they cited the reason that they turned it down, uh, turned it off the magazine publishing was because uh, competition from television. And they also thought that postal rates were gonna increase uh, and question their viability of the magazine. So now we're at 1972 uh, and that's happening. Then there's a pretty exciting period. Uh, 1972, I'm seven years old. Uh, that's not why it's exciting, by the way. But 1973 to 1994 is really considered the digital age. And that's where there's, once again, new ways for consumers to interact with sellers. Uh, mobile phone shows up in 1973. And that was when, uh, I guess it was Dr. Martin Cooper makes the very first handheld mobile phone call, much like Alexander Graham Bell. That was 1973. So we've got phones uh, in our homes. Now we've got mobility, although probably very few had them at that time. But what happens during this period from 73 to 1994? Well, I know uh, for me, it was, was life-changing, uh, the advent of the personal computer. In 1981 through 1984, uh, IBM introduces the IBM personal computer and Macintosh. Apple introduces the Macintosh uh, in 1984. And, and those of you who were around then watching TV then remember Apple launched this incredibly successful Macintosh commercial uh, during the Super Bowl. And it was directed by, the, um, by Ridley Scott. So really very theatrical, engaging commercial that was only shown once, and it's one of the most memorable commercials of all times, cost $900,000 to run the spot. And the reach at that point for the Super Bowl was 46% of American households. So TV is uh, expensive to advertise on, and Apple goes all in to try to take on IBM. And during that time period uh, is when I bought my first personal computer. It's what I write about in my book. If you haven't read my book yet or just discovering me here on the podcast, I'll put a link to the book down below. I talk about that story with my dad. You know, a lot of, a lot of kids' stories, dad's stories are very Norman Rockwell-like, maybe a, throwing a baseball around in the backyard. Well, my best day ever with my dad was going down to the computer store and buying that very first computer I had, the Apple IIe picking out the computer and the floppy disk and the graphic board and a modem card and the monitor. It was a really cool day and I'll never forget it. it changed my life. It also changed marketing because what happened next? Uh, 1985 was the whole emergence of desktop publishing and a little factoid. Uh, I'm in college by this point and I've upgraded from my Apple IIe to a Macintosh. And my very first, I'm gonna call it business slash very first foray in marketing is I would create business cards, flyers, and stationery uh, at the college using my Mac. So I fully understand desktop publishing because it enabled me to make some weekend money by, uh, I would go to Kinko's and I would buy some fancy paper and then I would do some design on my Macintosh and make, like I said, business cards, flyers, stationery, uh, even produce these large format calendars for students in the dorm. And I went around to local businesses around 
uh, Cal State Northridge where I went to school and I would get these businesses to place ads, pizza stores, the subway stores. Uh, they put ads around the outside and, and, and the inside was a calendar uh, for the entire year as well as a bunch of school information. So I would give these out for free to various students around the college campus, but I made my money by selling advertising space on those along with my desktop publishing business. So I was all in from a, a creative perspective and marketing perspective. And all I needed was that that Macintosh computer to be not only in marketing, but in sales and, and have a business. Uh, I graduated, by the way, in 1988, in 1990 to 1994. That was really, you know, when, when mobile phones, the 2G mobile phone network advancements took place, right? And you've got uh, SMS messaging arriving on the scene in, 1992. So now, you know, text messaging, uh, there's not a kid on the planet, I don't think, that doesn't understand text messaging, but that started in 1992. And, and now we use text messaging, not only for peer-to-peer -peer communication uh, and one-to-many communication with group text, but uh, businesses use it for communicating with clients, either for customer loyalty, like when you check in at a hotel, or as you guys know, to let you know of promotions and discounts. So very, very cool advances in mobile technology to say the least. We'll come back to that. Uh, around this time, 1990 to 1998 is when the TV really displaced newspapers as the nation's largest ad medium. Total advertising revenues on cable television uh, was up to 2.4 billion to now $8.3 billion. So basically a fourfold increase in that eight year time period. Uh, so really seeing TV become such a main form of marketing and advertising. Then what happens? 1994 was the first recorded or, or um, credited posting of a message to several thousand new groups by a law firm called Cantor and Siegel. They're based out of Phoenix, and this is April 1994. So they're using now the internet and email to spam people. That word comes on the scene. Uh, and it's this is considered probably the very first automated large-scale commercial example of spam, this Phoenix law firm, Cantor and Siegel. According to what I'm reading here in the history books and sharing with you guys, um, and it's, it's the incident that makes the term spam popular. It is a word we all know. And in fact, I remember my kids when they were really young, they were describing what daddy does, what daddy's company does. And they, they labeled us as spammers. And I thought, well, that, that's not really good. I'm gonna have to really teach them and talk to them about what we do here. Uh, 1995, you guys remember the 1995 to 2002 period known as the bubble. And that was uh, during a period when, you know, technologies really continued to emerge and become adopted by many different audiences. Uh, the internet, I mean, it was 1995, I think, that I built my first company website at Fairlawn. Game changer once again. We were doing internet commerce, advertising, banner ads with animation in them, really cutting edge stuff for that time. And it was cool. I, I took a company public in 1996 as their head of marketing. This was Natopia. And I remember a big part of our roadshow was just talking about how we're using digital, the internet for marketing. And that really helped the value of our company just because how progressive we were in marketing uh, right in, the, in 1996. 
And then the bubble burst. We all know that that, that happened in 2000, around that time. But before we talk about the burst, uh, let's bring up some brands that maybe we have forgotten about. Yahoo, still around today, but they were the search engine. Uh, there was Alta Vista, another search network, Ask.com, and even Netscape, you know, the browser maker. Uh, that's where you started your internet. Every time you launched the browser, that's where you saw advertising and you saw content and it was these destinations. And Google really changed all that up. And still to this day, when you go to Google com you don't see all the type of content advertising and marketing information that was on netscape yahoo and alta vista maybe some of you remember ask.com or ask jeeves uh back in the day and the number of people that were using the web and searching in the 1995 time period was about 16 million according to this article that i'm looking at and by 1997 two years later 70 million which is a little less than 2% of the population. Think about how many people use the internet today. 1997, only about 1.7% of the population today, you know, all over the world, amazing. Uh, search engine optimization, uh, first recorded use of that term was in the 1995 to 1997 period. Uh, and in 1998, search really evolved with MSN, Microsoft Network coming on the scene. Uh, I remember my dad calling me about Google and he said, look, uh, there's this new company that has a search engine and he goes, I've tried it. It's really cool. It's very accurate, way better than Netscape, way better than Yahoo, he tells me. I go, what's it called? He goes, Google. And he goes, not only that, they're looking for a head of business development and partnerships. Maybe that's something you're interested in. And I told my dad with great certainty uh, Dad, Netscape and Yahoo own Search. There's no way a new company's coming on the scene and gonna take them out. Well, boy, was I wrong. Sorry, Dad. Uh, I should have taken your advice. Um, Google's done very, very well. 49% of all websites, and this is going back to 2005, 49% of all websites we're using Google Analytics way back then. Uh, crazy. 1998, the B word, blogging emerges. Brad Fitzpatrick, he started Live Journal in March of 1999. Evan Williams and Meg Horin, hope I'm pronouncing her right. H O U R I H A N. I don't know Meg and I don't know Evan but they started blogger.com in 1999, and that was later purchased by Google in 2003. And by the mid 2006 period, there was 50 million blogs. Think about blogs and, and that, we not only seen advertising, you know, all these, all these additional pages gave way for marketers to put more ads, but this really kind of started the rise too of influencer marketing, right? Which is certainly, alive and well to this day. Uh, after 1999 comes 2000 when the bubble pops and tech-related growth is reflected in a 500% increase in the NASDAQ index during that time. And right at the time when the bubble burst on March 10th, the NASDAQ peaked at 5,048. That was a crazy time, as you all remember. I mean, people were buying stocks just because they had the name .com in it. 
Uh, if it was a dot-com company, didn't matter if it had revenue, didn't matter if it had profits, people were dropping money into their IPOs and whammo. And a message to anyone who's probably not listening to this podcast, but a message to all the young folk that are getting on Robinhood and buying penny stocks and dollar stocks and buying stocks based on pump and dump strategies. I am worried about you guys. And parents, if you don't know about this happening and your kids are hitting you up for $1,000 or $3,000 or talking about Robinhood, take interest in what they are doing because uh, it feels like 2000 all over again and, and much riskier because now in the palm of their hand, kids can be buying and selling stocks in and out of the market with no sense of valuation. That maybe there's a whole episode just on that. All right, let's talk about still this 2001, 2002, 2003 era. Well, that's the age of inbound marketing. And this really represents a whole turning point because after the whole dot-com bubble burst, uh, the internet begins to enter this new age. And it's really characterized by a much greater emphasis on information sharing and user-created content and collaboration you know, from the blogging. Because now you've got all this user-created content that's out there. You've got all this information that is out there, not created by manufacturers. And this inbound marketing, right? Getting people to read this stuff and come to you as opposed to you spamming them and emailing them uh, that was a major turning point for marketers and very, very effective still, of course, to this day. Then what happens? Consumers start fighting back. And in 2003, there is the Can Spam Act, which was email users against the big spammers. And it was signed into law by George Bush, George W. Bush, that is. And uh, it's the U.S.'s first ever national standards against sending unsolicited commercial email. And we still see to this day more and more laws at a state level and various other countries uh, and making it more and more difficult for marketers to market to people. Well, I, you can still market to them, but you face risk. And it's interesting to see that the marketing department can now be a source of great financial impact to a business. Uh, one of the things here at BDO Digital that we do for a lot of our clients is help them with governance and privacy regulations to protect our clients from getting into trouble with their local governments. And um, one of the reasons that we joined forces with BDO Digital was to provide a much broader range of services to our clients than just marketing and sales technology and as I've been learning more and more about these service areas from the other partners in the company, it's it's really great to see just how comprehensive they are from a capability standpoint. Because we certainly need to understand the laws as marketers and make sure that we don't get ourselves and our companies into trouble. Social media, 2003, 2004, we've got LinkedIn is founded, MySpace is founded, Facebook, 2004, we've got the social media revolution. Uh, telemarketing. Again, backlash from consumers. And we've got the National Do Not Call Registry gets implemented in this time period. And as of 2017, uh, there's 200 million Americans on the Do Not Call list. 2004, 18-year-old Anthony Greco is the first person ever to be arrested 
under the CAN-SPAM Act, and he pleads guilty to it. Fast forward a little bit, 2005 SEO, Google begins personalized search results that are informed by your past search history. Is that creepy? I don't know. I kind of like it. It's kind of where we started the episode, right? I went and visited Raccio to check out their irrigation product and Google decided to run an ad from them to me because I didn't purchase it. And it ended up with me going to a store. I like it. I want them to show me stuff. I like that they show me stuff that I am interested in. I have a lot of hobbies, technology hobbies, and I think it's really cool that a lot of the content on the web for me is tailored. It creeps a lot of people out. I like it. I don't have anything to hide. So I, I like relevancy. And um, we as marketers have learned to become very good at SEO and SEM, search engine optimization, search engine marketing. And uh, the demand was so high for this capability back in 2005 that it became, uh, it had to, they had to suspend it uh, after just the very first week. And then it became more widely available in 2006. 2006, Twitter launches and Amazon sales are now at 10 billion. 10 billion in 2006. By 2009, by the way, 25 billion at Amazon. I'm not even sure what their number is today, but <laughs> it's probably 10x that. I'll look it up maybe before we finish this episode. Uh, 2007, mobile. 295 million subscribers on 3G networks. What was so big about 3G? Made the ability for music and video streaming. And not only was you know, music and video streaming now that capability, but then what did marketers do, right? We could play ads during those streaming services. They could make the streaming services free, sponsored by advertising. So new medium, just like we saw with radio and then with TV, as mobile phones have reached saturation uh, with everybody and have the bandwidth capability, uh, it's incredible. And let me tell you, I'm no futurist, well, maybe a little bit of a futurist, What's going to happen next? With 5G, the bandwidth that we get from 5G, we're going to be able to do augmented reality, no problem. We're going to be able to do virtual reality, no problem. If you haven't seen the movie Ready Player One, it's coming to a mobile phone and VR headset soon. Uh, we're going to have that capability, scary or not. It's going to be entertaining for sure. But that means that marketers, once again, will be able to get their messages in front of the eyeballs, literally in these goggles when these products become available. And I don't think it's more than 12 months, maybe sooner, uh, that Apple is gonna unveil some products as well as others in the AR space. And we've already seen plenty of, of VR products. And as the prices come down and they get more mass appeal and better games, better content, just like the mobile phone, we're gonna see VR as, as you know, be a thing that so many of us are using and adopting. 2009, Google launched real-time search results. That seems like forever ago, but that was uh, 2009. 2010, you ready for a very disappointing statistic? In 2010, according to this article, 90% of emails are spam, 90%. Now, when I logged into my email this morning at work, 
I certainly felt that way. And I now wish I had more and more technology to filter those messages besides just some of the native tools within Outlook, because it's gotten to where you, it's really difficult to get your job done because there's so much of that, which uh, another factoid, San Francisco banned the yellow pages. If you don't know what that is, that, that was a big gigantic book that had everybody's advertisements in there for their phone numbers, every, every business. Uh, and they banned it. And that was just around 2011. So again, consumers feeling frustrated because we can't cut through the clutter and the noise. And that's a constant, uh, as innovation comes about, as marketing gets more channels, uh, marketers take advantage of those channels, positively and negatively, and consumers fight back. Remember DVRs, a lot of you still use them. Uh, we're streaming these days, so there's less and less need for DVRs because we can just get content anytime we want. But in that same period, 2011, is when uh, you could skip commercials because the DVR. You couldn't do that if you had tape. Well, you could. You could fast forward it, but that took a lot of time. DVRs had this capability built into it. Again, technology enabling consumers to jump past advertising. And, and one of the things I want you guys to be thinking about is what are consumers going to do to the marketing that you're doing today if it becomes irritating to them? Start, start you know, thinking like only the paranoid survive. How are you going to continue through the clutter of your competition? I don't mean your literal competition. I mean the competition for the consumer's eyeballs and ears. Uh, young people, young people ages 13 to 24 in this time period, we're talking about 2011, for the very first time are spending more time online than they are watching TV. 13.7 hours online versus 13.6 hours online. Inbound marketing costs 62% less than outbound marketing. How many of you are focusing on inbound marketing versus outbound marketing? How many of you are using influencers to promote your product, having a third party promote your product. And if you're like, oh, we're a B2B company, we don't have influencers. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. And they're happy to talk about your product. Sometimes you put them on stage at conferences and sessions. Sometimes you have them on your podcasts. But have you thought about what you could really do from an influencer perspective? Because that is a phenomenal way to market your products and have a third party do that. I don't think enough of you are, are necessarily doing that. Social media by 2012, uh, companies that are using those channels cite that uh, like 40% are getting business through these social channels. And I know many of you are still figuring out how to use these channels effectively. Many of you are advertising on LinkedIn, Facebook, other online channels, and it's working for you. Uh, it's interesting to watch across our client. We do a lot of social media marketing, consulting and helping of our clients. And boy, when you really get good at this, targeted uh, and getting the right sites moves the needle on your business. Great form, both, both with inbound marketing as well as just using it as a communication channel for your own company information. 
All right, let's let's as as we're we're getting close. We're in 2012. Uh, U.S. population in 2012, 239 million. That's 75 percent of the population. I got to think it's almost 100 percent of the population in the United States now. But 2012 was 75 percent. That's that's three quarters of the U.S. is online. Uh, Facebook gets to 143 million users in 2012. I think I think Facebook is in decline. At least it is in my household. I'm seeing more Instagram <clears throat> and other channels, TikTok being used by my kids and family members. Very little time spent on Facebook, but uh, maybe that's just market research of of us. I don't, are you guys on Facebook? Let me know. Reach out to me. I'm curious as we talk about this evolution of marketing channels and mediums, what you guys are thinking about the future, whether you're just still looking at these old traditional forms of marketing, or are you thinking about new channels and new mediums? Because let me tell you, if you're not thinking about it and looking at the technology that's coming, you're probably not going to be a pioneer in those areas. And it's the pioneers that really... uh, you know, get the advantages of being early adopters. A lot of companies these days on TikTok, uh, there are people in, uh, was it Clubhouse? I think I'm saying that right. New mobile app. I haven't tried that. We haven't tried that to have audio chat rooms. I'm still doing the podcast, which is not real time with all of you guys. I wish it was real time. I thought about doing a lot of the real-time streaming on LinkedIn so I can get you guys to engage with me versus the recording that we're doing these days here and on YouTube. And I think that's going to become part of our mix in 2021 because I like the interaction and I miss it with all of you. All right, let's fast forward. Online video, which I was just talking about YouTube. We launched our YouTube channel pretty recently. I want to thank you guys for subscribing. We're approaching 1,000 subscribers. It's a really steep climb to 1,000 subscribers. So if you haven't gone to demandgen.tv, click on that subscribe button. Help us grow the channel. And let me know what you think of the content. It's all show and tell. MarTech show and tell. How DemandGen does DemandGen. Featuring other MarTech and sales tech uh, to you guys. Uh, and it was, it was, you know, in this time period almost approaching, you know, like 2012, 169 million online video viewers. 53% of the population, 70% of internet users. Smartphone video viewers reached 51 million in 2012. So I kind of feel like we're behind in B2B. I don't think enough of you are using YouTube as a format for demoing your product and creating a lot of content, still writing a lot, still advertising a lot. The YouTube phenomenon is here to stay. And I would encourage you guys to take a greater presence on YouTube from a content perspective and even consider advertising because, uh, so much engagement happening on YouTube these days. I know I'm a big fan of YouTube. Wondering if you are personally, I just watch, I binge YouTube. Every day I watch a little bit of YouTube of topics that uh, interest me. Let's get to commerce and then wrap it up. Uh, 
2012, 88% of the US are internet users. And ages 14 and above are now browsing and researching products online in 2012. That's a lot. And uh, online shopping reached 184 million at this time period. And that was 2011. And now look where we are today. So as we wrap up, what's happened since this time period to now? Well, COVID, the worldwide pandemic, which locked all of us down, forced the laggards, the people that had not embraced online shopping, the people that were not doing as much online research, that were still going to stores and looking at products, they went all in. We've all been forced to do online browsing, online shopping, online delivery. Uh, DoorDash goes public. Posh.com goes public. Etsy's gone crazy. It's, uh, it's all about e-commerce and online. And if we in B2B and B2C marketing are gonna thrive in the years to come, this is the channel that you have to master. The channel is the internet. The channel is mobile apps. The channel will be augmented reality and virtual reality at some point, uh, as well as others. And, and it, all this data privacy stuff, uh, it's, it's important. It's relevant to us as marketers. We need to really understand what kind of privacy regulations we're going to need to uh, honor and uphold from a legal standpoint, as well as what consumers do or don't want. But I hope you've enjoyed this little walk down marketing memory lane. Uh, again, I want to thank Corey for putting this article together, which was a main source of, of information. I would love to hear from you guys. Connect with me on LinkedIn if you haven't already and drop me a note. What do you think about this? What are you thinking about? What are you looking at in the future for how you reach your consumers and engage with your consumers? We know the most important thing is frictionless buying, a frictionless customer experience. Love to hear how you guys are delivering that. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Catch you guys in the next one. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 